Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Mondays with Mindy. Hi, Mindy. Hi, Christian. Today, we are so thrilled to welcome the wonderfully talented stand-up comedian, actor, and writer, Patton Oswalt. Patton began performing stand-up in 1988 after writing for Mad TV and starring in his first of many comedy specials. He went on to garner notable roles in film and television, including his long-running role on The King of Queens. And in 2007, Patton got his first starring role as the voice of Remy in the Oscar-winning animated film Ratatouille. Other work includes roles in Magnolia, 21 Jump Street, Zoolander, and Young Adult, among many others. And we met and worked together while shooting on Daniel Waters' film Sex and Death 101, which, as you know, was just a box office blockbuster. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Other television work included numerous guest roles and a regular role in Showtime's The United States of Terra and Agents of the Shield, as well as currently narrating the TV show The Goldbergs and starring in Peacock's AP Bio. With an impressive list of voiceover credits as well, Patton's most recent can be heard on Hulu's Mad Oak. Patton also has had six stand-up specials, I should say televised in some way, Yeah, and has won an Emmy and Grammy for the Best Comedy Album. His latest, I Love Everything, is currently airing on Netflix and was nominated for another primetime Emmy. Patton uh, was married to the true crime writer and journalist Michelle McNamara, and they had a daughter together. She died in her sleep in 2016, attributed to an undiagnosed heart problem Mm. and a complication from ingested medications. Patton was instrumental in finishing her book, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, which later became the extraordinary documentary also available on HBO and HBO Max if you haven't seen it. It's amazing. It's basically Michelle's, all of her years and years of work. The case involved a serial killer who had run amok in the Sacramento area of California. And the book was based on, and he was caught in large part to all of Michelle's work, research and efforts. In 2017, Pat married actress and my darling friend, Meredith Stallinger. They have a new podcast. Did you get my text? Patton is currently on tour with his new stand-up work, Who's Ready to Laugh? I am. And just wrapped a new feature, which will be released later this year. That's amazing. Quite a, quite a history he's got. He's a worker. Yeah, I'll say. Ladies and gentlemen, we are really excited to welcome to the show, Patton Oswalt. <laughs> Hello, Patton. Yes. Hey, guys. Hi. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to, yes, thank you. Thank you. Oh, God, it's so early. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and here comes the smack across the face. Good morning. That could not have been more. Welcome, Pat. Welcome. Like, looks like I'm learning the language as you're speaking it to me. Yes. <laughs> it's very much in tandem with Modoc. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes, very much. Nice, very. shameless plug, Mindy. You're welcome. Thank you. We start off with just Christian. I came up with 20 random questions. We ask you five. It's just a way to start a conversation. Awesome. Although that's never really been an issue with you. So, <laughs> um, Patton, among your friends, what are you best known for? Among my friends. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's, well, that's a good way to phrase it. I think I'm best known for <laughs> being the guy, the friend in the group who if we start down a rabbit hole about movies or pop culture without me trying to, I can't help it. I will end up topping everyone or going that extra level down, you know, into obscurity and completely useless trivia. If someone thinks they have 
totally useless trivia. I have something way more useless uh, sitting in my head somewhere. Okay, well, I don't find any of your trivia useless. I find it <laughs> freaking fascinating that you know so much about things that I love so much, which are movies. Oh, thank you. I'd love to put you in a room with my good friend, Scott. He's very, very similar in the sense that like, as soon as I think I've got a one up on him, I'm like, you can't, I know this. He's like, nope, and I'm like, wow. Yeah, it's insane. Fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Um, what do you do when you get stuck creatively? Do you do anything specific or do you have tricks or do you just let it pass? Well, I do have- By the way, can I interrupt you and start? I want to ask this by saying, do you write every day? I try to write every day, but when I say write every day, I try to at least create something every day. Sometimes it's a joke. Sometimes it's a scene. Sometimes, Yeah, I try to write something down every day to keep those muscles going, to keep it in motion, basically. Okay. Yeah, smart. Yeah. All right, so now you may answer my question. <laughs> yeah. Wow, the way you phrased that question, yes, I do have a lot of tricks and stuff that I use, but then the one you ended it on was, or do you just let it pass? That is actually my main go-to is don't get focused on the jam or whatever clog you're in. Go mm-hmm. live your life a little bit and then hope that it unclogs itself. I feel like if you focus on unclogging the clog, then that becomes the focus of the creativity rather than the creativity. Yeah. Well, and, now, and also, I, I guess I asked the question, do you write every day? It helps that you do that because you don't get too self-obsessed or do you in the day? Oh, I trust me. I still get self-obsessed. I still get precious about things. I still have that problem with starting because when you really think about it, you can start sloppily because you can totally fix it later. And a lot of times I get in that mindset of, I will set pen to paper when it (laughs) is perfect. No, you can let it be dumb and then it'll start to focus itself. Yeah. In regard to your standup, do you come up, does something come into your brain of like, okay, that's the title of it, or that's going to be the opening Shtick of mine, and I don't mean to say shtick in a negative, that doesn't have a negative connotation. No, shtick is fantastic. You you know, I wish I could say that I could sit and write jokes. I write premises and ideas and areas I want to explore. And unfortunately, my best writing happens on stage, which has been, that was one of the things that was really rough during the shutdown. It made it very hard watching Bo Burnham's inside because- (gasps) Some of those scenes where he's crying, I'm realizing that there are moments when you don't have the audience to push against. I don't know if I'm funny or if I'm doing anything. And it just feels, after a while, it feels so empty and hollow. It can get scary. Okay, even now, Patton, after all these years of you doing it, and I just, you're funny. You have an amazing sense of humor. You legitimately are telling me like you don't know when you're being funny. Like you don't know when you've hit gold. No, no, there's time. Look, I know when I've hit gold, but unfortunately, I know when I've hit gold when I'm in front of an audience and Mm, I get that reaction. If I'm just sitting in a vacuum with my notebook writing and thinking, there are times that I, there are things, look, because there are things in the past that I've written down going, oh my God, I just nailed it. And then I stand (laughs) on stage and it's like, what in the crickets? (laughs) And then there's other times when, I think something's kind of a half idea and I don't quite know that it's there yet. And the laugh comes from it being a half idea. The laugh, I actually find more humanity in not being able to find something completely brilliant about it. Like the fact that it's, it stopped me up short weirdly connects me with the audience because they're like, I've also been stopped up short by that thing. Yeah. Well, that's also such a, I mean, you're an actor. So, I mean, that's such, you know, it, to me, that's so much when I see your work, um, the actor in you, which is loose and, you know, has improv at the tip of your fingers. I mean, you're able to not be, as you said, so precious about something. Yes. If you're if you're take, if you're tacking. Yes, exactly. Like, again, one of the funniest things I've ever seen on stage, there's a, um, a comedian named. Um, oh, my God. Why am I blanking his name? Um, 
John Papa. And oh, yeah. He, yeah. And my God, he does a bit about people who don't eat bread. You talk about how crazy people are with their diets. <laughs> yes, but the punchline to the bit, he goes, and there are people who don't eat bread. And then he pauses. He goes, they don't eat like the joke is that I don't have a joke about this. I'm just trying to like he needs to say it to himself so that it makes sense. Yes. It's so and the audience connects so hard. Like there are those things that are so ridiculous. Like, why am I even writing a joke about this? <laughs> I am stopped short by this thing. I love that. I just yeah. love that. Yeah. I mean, speaking of just because we're all Tom Papa. Oh my God. Why did I say John Papa? Tom Papa. Oh my God. Oh my God. Well, I said yes. Help me, Kevin. There, there it goes. Help me. <laughs> um <laughs> By the way, congratulations on these like sellout shows and you're having to do putting another one in Washington, D.C. and yep. another one in Austin. I mean, yes. yippee ki mother. I mean, to sell out the Paramount in Austin, that's, huge. Is, that's a, a huge room. And that was <laughs> yeah. especially like post pandemic. That feels really, really good. Oh, you know? And, and also the, the Kennedy Center in D.C. My God. Oh, my God. I mean, and my I, God. I mean, can I just say I'm cavelling? I'm a little proud. Like, oh. uh, yeah, no, I mean, this is nature. I got chills about it. Like, that's huge. I also think people are so, not that they're desperate, but I think people are so ready to be in a group and laugh together. Yes, I can't even. Absolutely. Just connect. I need it as badly as the audience needs it. I need to get out. I did um one of the last episodes of Conan, which he filmed in the Largo. Yes here in LA, it was a half-filled audience because of COVID restrictions, but still walking out and seeing people sitting there, like I almost burst into tears. I couldn't believe yeah. it. Well, especially that room. That's such a historic, oh, God. that's such yeah. a great place in Los Angeles. For those who are listening or watching that don't know, Largo is, I would dare to say the spot um, Yeah, in yeah. Los Angeles. It's pretty special. For, especially for comedy right yeah. now. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, it's the best. Um, Patton, what assumption do people make about you that's wrong? Ooh, um, I think one of the assumptions that people make about me that's wrong is that um, I am, because I work so much, I must be a part of the quote-unquote Hollywood elite or part of this world that they see in like TMZ. Well, well he must go to premieres and mm -hmm. clubs. So, like my preferred way of living is just to either go to the New Beverly or go to a cafe somewhere, go to a diner somewhere and read. Like yes. I do not, all the, and and I've, yes, I get invited to premieres and they're so annoying. I just want to go see the movie. I don't want to do all of <laughs> the know. talking to people and getting photographed. I don't care about that. I just let me go and see the movie. That's all I want to go do. And then I want to go home. Yes. Well, I, I will say what also adds to this, I think, assumption about you, and I get it a lot too, is I just think if you've been around longer than a decade and put, you know, a lot of numbers in front of, for both of us, yeah. you know a lot of people. And so, yeah. especially on social media, it can really seem like you are jet setting around with the bon vivant, right? And you're not. Right? And also- <laughs> We've we've both had. I mean, I'm sure you've also had your moments where look. Some people do jet set with the bon vivant, or they brush up against it, and it actually yeah. they like it, and it's their world. And other times, like people like me, and I'm I'm assuming you, yes. we've also brush up against that world and going, oh boy, is this not for me? I love acting. I love <laughs> doing it, but then I'd like to go home and and you know do a crossword puzzle. That to me is heaven. Yes, like have a real, 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 real life, which yes, is, which actual, is very humdrum. Which is so attractive to me. Oh my god, it's <laughs> so great. Yeah, I, I remember there was a the, the lead singer of Judas Priest in the eighties. We were talking to him because on stage it's dark leather and studs and fire and the, and the devil. And then 
in his normal life, he's like, I live in a suburb in Arizona and I just, <laughs> I go to dinner with my friends and I have a very quiet, because if I live that life all the time that you see me on this thing, I'd say, I'd be dead. I would not <laughs> be alive. Like I need to quietly, he goes, I like, he goes, what I really like doing is taking the trash can down to the curb and leaving it like that to me is like so great. I love that. Like, like. It's least singer of Judas Priest. Yes. I yes. can't take the garbage out this week. The anti-rock star, like, yeah. in your life. He goes, yeah. like, I put all that craziness up on stage. That's for two hours. I can't live that way 24-7. It would kill me. Yes. Yeah. Also, I wonder if you can relate to this. Um, you know, I have a face that my friends call it resting smiley face. <laughs> when really, <laughs> I'm just not that nice uh, in real life. But um uh, or or don't care. I think I have a face that looks like I'm interested and I'm just oh. not, um, which is so rude. But, um, you know, you, the familiarity people have with you um, oh, yeah. or the fact that people think you are funny 24-7 or that expectation. You can ask my wife. I, am- uh, I know that I have this conversation with Rain Wilson all the time. Oh, yeah. He, you know, where people just have this expectation. Well, also, I think it's a function of social media, and I'm sure you've gotten this too, where because people interact with you on social media, and then if they see you in real life, they feel like they're just continuing a conversation that the two of you have already been having. You're like, we weren't talking. I don't know. <laughs> They'll like- I've never thought that. of that. Yeah, and you're like, no, no, we weren't actually having a conversation. You were saying, I like that. That was a funny joke. Thank you. But I'm like, we're not like friends. <laughs> we don't hang out. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know you. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a time like, you know, even in the 80s, you couldn't just get on social media and send someone. A, you couldn't tell Frank Sinatra, when's your next album coming out, man? You know, and expect <laughs> them to even to give you like a thumbs up emoji that just it's insane. The world. Yes. We live in now. Yeah. Agreed. The, the immediacy. I remember writing letters to someone if their performance was amazing. And, you know, three weeks later, later, I would get something back like, thank you so much or whatever. Right. And now it's just a heart. And I, you know, have an explosion that so-and-so <laughs> like liked my work or something. Right. It's like, oh, my God. <laughs> wow. What the? Yeah. Yeah. Um, did where you grow up or how you grew up develop your creative aesthetic, however you define that? Absolutely. And it's because I grew up in the 70s and 80s in the very, very boring suburbs of Northern Virginia where you just did not, I was not lacking in love. I was not lacking in friends. But what I was lacking in was access to things to alleviate my boredom. So you had to create, like I didn't have a screen in my hands where I could just pull something out of the ether and watch it. Or, you know, movies and music were not readily available. You had to go find it. You had to go find people that would point you toward the cool stuff. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I talk about growing up in outside of DC in the eighties and my friends are like, Oh, you, so you saw like, Black Flag and Minor Threat and Bad Brands. Like I was never able, there was no bus that went into the city from where I lived. We had to get it all secondhand. We had to try to invent it. So there was a very much like, well, you invent the cool stuff because you can't just go find it. You have to go invent it. Yeah. Were you more as a kid into movies or television? Well, I was into movies, but the only place I could see them was television unless my parents would drive me to the mall. But the mall was like whatever the recent movie was. TV was Saturday afternoons was there was a monster movie on there was a Costello film on or I'd stay up super late and and catch something. There was also that great like you'd stay up super late and like Benny Hill was on and there'd be like half a breast. You're like, oh, my God. I I remember, you know, know. Love American style. And I thought I was watching porn. Yeah. Yes, exactly. It's it's like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm seeing this. So, you know, that was always amazing. 
Uh, for those of you who don't know Love American Style, I hate you all. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel the gray hair growing out of my chin as we speak. There you go. Um, okay, I think this might be a tough one for you, so I apologize in advance. Okay. Uh, who is the most fascinating person you've met? Um, you've uh, you've been in the company of many, my friend. Oh, boy. I mean, you know. And worked with them. Yeah, and worked with them. My knee-jerk reaction would be someone like I was, I got to be friends with Harlan Ellison, who was a huge mm science fiction writer and very, very influential on a lot of the culture that we enjoy today. Oh, yeah. For granted, he was the one that kind of pushed that through in the 60s and 70s. And then, you know, through him, I got to meet Robin Williams and knew him near the wow. end of his life. And who, again, a genuinely brilliant and fascinating guy to talk to, just in terms of like, not just the jokes, the life experiences that that guy had were oh. insane. It really kills me that he never got a chance to do like a one-man show, something on Netflix or HBO, where he drops the whole Robin energy thing and goes, all right, let me tell you about this movie. That like The stories that he had were, were yes. nuts. It was yeah. so incredibly fascinating. Um, well, so yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I remember my conversation with him was actually about acting, and it, it sort of like blew my pants off because he was so well-trained and yes. so well-versed in theater and productions. And he started naming these things. And I'm just like, oh my God. Like the real deal that people didn't, he didn't expose that part of himself. Other people did who worked with right. him. Yeah. But he wasn't really a self-promoter in that aspect. No, and he was a, a genuinely brilliant actor. Agreed. Like genuinely amazing. Um, You know, the movie that everyone talks about, oh, one hour photo, he plays this really creepy villain it's so unrobin and it is great but the one that blows me away is the um christopher nolan remake of insomnia where he's this psycho killer but he's being the charming funny robin williams and you realize if that level of charm was put towards evil it would be really really dangerous because he's such a charming winning magnetic personality yes using it and, and it's just that movie is so unsettling for me and it's such a brilliant performance. Well, it's so interesting that you talk about that one specifically because it's really the moment where I said to myself, at some point, I want to play a psychotic. Right. Like as an actor, right? It's yeah, the yeah. biggest challenge, but it also is like such, yeah, for the audiences yeah. who know you is one thing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah, kind of and, spectacular. And it's, it's interesting too that like a lot of people, I think when they play psychos or someone who is psychopathic, they think it has to be, very flat and unaffected. Psychopaths are, are first Brilliant. off very charming. <laughs> yeah. And that's one of the that's one of the ways they used to survive. They are very, very charming and friendly and fun. And that's what's dangerous about them. Yes. And, you know? Takes one to know one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the whole point. And they're brilliant and they're yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, kind of amazing. Joe Pesci in Goodfellas is oh. first of all a very funny, Ooh. charming character. Where you're like, this guy's really fun to hang out. Oh, God, he just beat that guy up. And then he'll turn and make another joke. And you're like, oh, okay. But like, it's just so savage. Yeah. 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 Savage. Yeah. yeah. What is the last couple of things that you binged on that you're like, oh, this is everything and more? And by the way, I'm a little jealous that you got to see the season two of Ted Lasso, because that's one of the things that I literally, I wanted to hump my television after that ended. We got to see the first two episodes. Of oh, I'm so two. jealous. It's so Good. That was one of those shows that I, you know, again, 
I remember seeing the premise, seeing the trailer right. and going, oh yeah, it's it's a hick guy and he's right. coaching stock. I get it. It's one joke. And you don't realize that it's a launching pad for all of this brilliant stuff that you do not see coming. Well, also um, to me, the biggest thing about actors that kind of, I get obsessed with is earnestness. Yes. And the earnestness of those characters makes you want to cry. Yeah. And no one is a villain. No one's a hero. Everyone's flawed and they're struggling and they're trying to, anyway, I could go yeah. on about that. But in a similar vein, yes. another show that I slept on for the same reason, I just caught up to it in a day, binged it, uh -huh. um, is a show on FX called Dave that I remember seeing the trailer. Okay, yep. awkward Jewish guy who wants to be a rapper. I've seen that <laughs> joke a million times. I don't know how this is the show. It is a show about everything. It's about relationships, mental health. Um, I cannot get over how it's like Dave is the filthy mouthed cousin of Ted Lasso. Amazing it is thing. Positivity and people trying to make connections and believing in yourself. Um, it is just there are episodes that made me cry that legit made me cry while I was oh. also laughing my ass off. Yes, yes. So I can't believe how good it is. Love, love. Stunned. So if you like Ted Lasso, you should go watch Dave. Okay, will do. I mean, it's I just wrote it down. So yeah. I mean, Same. highly recommended. I'm doing it. I'm doing a deep dive. Um, who do you want to work with that you haven't? Oh my God. I, so that's a horrible question, by the way. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, look, there's people that I want to work with almost beyond wanting to like me being on camera with them. It's like, I almost want to work with them just to get to watch how they work. So, yeah. you know, blank on his name, Sean Baker. I would love to work with Sean Baker and see how he puts his movies together. Mm -hmm. He made the Florida project and Tangerine. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I feel that way about Edgar Wright. I'm sort of obsessed. Oh, I've always been very obsessed with him. I mean, I'm friends with him and I'm, in the, I'm in the Sparks documentary, um, but how, but day to day, how right. does he construct those shots? I would want to just sit on the set and just watch him, you know, beyond me yeah. being in the movie. Yeah. I same. Don't see how, how does he pull that off? Yeah. Um, also, um, Chloe Zhao. I don't know if you've seen Nomadland or especially The Rider. Yeah. I have. I've seen all her work. Oh, I think God. she's incredibly unusual. I mean, yeah. I don't even, she's just incredibly unique and special. I don't know how else to say it. Um, and I'd also really, really love to work with this couple called the Adams Family. The guy's name is John Adams. I guess he was an ex-model, now an actor and director. And his wife is a character actress named Toby Poser. Oh, I know who Toby, Toby Poser is. You know Toby? I don't know her, but I know who she is. Oh my God, she's brilliant. She and her husband and their daughter. I didn't know that. She was married or anything about her. They're like a little mini collective and they make these incredible films that they just kind of shoot themselves, acting at themselves, write at themselves. They are gorgeous, gorgeous movies. Um, they made a horror movie a few years ago called The Deeper You Dig that as scary as it is, it also beautiful. Huh. And then they make a movie, distribute it themselves. Then they'll just go on a weird adventure like they'll rent a camper van or something and drive across the country and get inspiration for whatever the next thing they want to do is. And their movies are brilliant. And I would love to see how they put them together. They're just, everything they make is incredible. Amazing. So when are you going to make a, a film? Soon. That's kind of what my focus is now is to 
get a movie made. I, you oh my know, gosh, that makes me so happy. I really no. didn't ask that in thinking no, that no, was no. going to be your ask, answer. That makes me really happy. Yeah, I want to start making movies. I want to start directing stuff. But, but, and also what's really great is now I, I watch a lot of these streaming services. So there's mm-hmm. channels like Shudder and Arrow and where not only do they show Shudder, which started off as a horror movie streaming service, uh-huh. has become this insane launching pad for young filmmakers that yeah they're making horror movies right a lot of them they're just using them to deliver as a smuggling uh apparatus to talk about another issue that you can't just talk about straight out they hide it in a horror movie but then they also show like short films and these weird there's a series on on uh shutter called dead waxed it's like eight episodes 11 minutes a piece about this weird haunted record that apparently killed and it but it brilliantly shot Clearly for no money, they had to say, let's just go shoot it. So there's there's just this thing now of like, I have this great idea. I'm just going to go shoot it. There will be a, a platform for it. Someone will see it now. Like, it just feels really yeah. cool that way. You know, That is yeah. kind of amazing. Well, yeah. I always think, I always say that um, soap opera actors are, you know, just actors on steroids as far as like how much, you know, oh memory and memorization and they yeah. do it every day. And right, it's kind of the unsung heroes of the acting world. And I always say horror movie writers and directors really don't get their just desserts. Well, now that I think they're starting to, because I think people are beginning to realize that, oh. The artistry. Not only artistry, but the big issue stuff that a lot of Oscar craving stuff does (laughs) is done way better in these little um, movies. The movie that came out last year that I just saw called Riders of Justice. It is a Danish film and it starts off like every Liam Neeson revenge flick. That's it. And it clearly is having a lot of fun. Its first act is like every, this guy's wife is killed. His daughter is wounded. And he's an ex-military guy. She's like, oh, he's going to go find the guy. And then it goes off in these directions and it becomes this meditation on what revenge actually is and what it actually costs. And it is one of the most brilliant movies I've seen in like five years. I'm done. It's called, Riders of Justice, it stars Mads Mikkelsen. And it, again, it's another one of oh, those. I love oh, I love him. Love Mads. I mean, my God. Yeah, did he, you, he's you, on my list, by the way, of people I want to work with. Oh, my God. Did you see another round? Of course I did. Oh, my God. I see everything he does. He's, I'm a little obsessed. But <laughs> again, he, he's magic. It's like what we were talking about earlier. It's this person was like, oh, wait a minute. I can use the framework of a revenge movie, which everyone's familiar with. Right. And I can use this to kind of lure them into this deeper thing that I want to do. You've been backdoored and you don't even feel it. It's, <laughs> it's oh my God. It's so, and by the way, I'm not saying that it becomes this boring, you know, meditate. Right. No, there's plenty of action and shooting, but then they show you what that costs. Usually in movies when they're shooting and shootouts and afterwards everyone's like, well, that was a quite a bang up. But in real life, it just causes 10 times more insanity and trauma it just doesn't stop amazing and they follow that down it's amazing it's just amazing so i want to sort of end on a sort of more practical thing which is well just practical i'm just like i'm curious and want to know the gossip (laughs) um when you're on a tour like you are right now where you have dates and it's you are months out yeah what happens with the acting schmacting do you tell your agent and manager look i can't go out for anything or i mean what do you give up i guess is what i want to ask you well i mean you know the, the tour is towards doing another special so it's not like i'm just doing it no i understand giggles yeah but 
the only thing, usually the acting schmacting is, hey, you know, I can't cancel the Kennedy Center. Can you ask if these people can either reschedule what they want to shoot or there's stuff that I've had to give up. Because right. I, that was really the question I wanted to ask yeah. you. Do you know going into the next year that you're going to have to give up a couple of opportunities? Well, right now I'm in good faith that I'm just booking the weekends and then we could possibly work out me coming back. I'm very good <laughs> at operating on no sleep and coming back to do, I mean, I've done a lot of that, but yeah. um, I'm always prepared. Last year I had to give up one thing I really, really wanted. And that wasn't even because of touring. It was because of other acting gigs that we just mm-hmm. couldn't reschedule the count. It was literally like a matter of days and it everything up. Oh, dang it. And, and it happens. That happened. Yeah. Meredith has told me about, you know, there were movies, there were like two movies that she had and she picked the one and had to give the other one up. And that's just what you do. Like, that's what this business is a lot, you know? Yeah. Well, and then also for me, where I've said no to something and then I've gone and I've had the worst experience. And what I mean by that is it's always a joy to work, but it's with someone that I don't particularly, I had a bad experience or it wasn't Uh the camp that I always want, especially movie making to be that you just sort of go, I said, yeah, yeah, that happened to me um, a while back. I said yes to something that I was very, very excited about. And of course, um, oh boy. Yeah, you're just, you're <laughs> yeah. just bummed, right? You're just like, well, put it this way. Have you ever like done a project where the person that has enticed you to do the project that you met with, you realize halfway into the project was wearing a mask and <laughs> was wearing the mask of a different kind of director or producer. And then when you get to say like, oh no, that mask just fell off and that's the person. Okay. Well, it, and- it's yes. Comma. Yeah. <laughs> and I had the experience of wanting to work with these directors so badly because they I loved everything they'd done and I got on set and I was so disappointed. No, God, that's just that's you know, and I've had a couple of acting experiences like that too, where this person has just been like, I cannot wait. And they've just it's been okay. <laughs> you know, it was fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, there's a reason why, you know, sometimes quote unquote, great directors or great artists. Um, it's not a good experience. And then afterwards, you're like, those three months of trauma were not worth <laughs> this 90 minutes of celluloid that is ephemeral as it is. And oh, now I know why Denzel Washington, the greatest actor of our generation, did all those movies with Tony Scott, who was a fine director, but not not Kubrick. But he's like, this guy's really fun. I'd rather just- An affable, like, exactly. Like, I've already got an Oscar. I just want to be with someone I like hanging out with. I, this is more fun. Yes. This is supposed to be fun. I'm not going to go and be with someone that's going to make me miserable. Yeah. Agreed. I didn't mean to end on a downer, but no, no, no. I actually think that that's very positive. You and I have got to a point that a lot of people either don't get to till later in life or they never get to where it's like, no, this has to be fun first. Uh, You know, all that, everything else is just ephemeral. Why burn the the joyful moments of my life away for this esoteric idea? Well, I always tell people I'm a lifer. I'm going to be doing this until one, they kick me off the stage or film set or two, my friend Tara and I have made a pact with each other. If we ever get to the age where we can't remember our lines to not put other actors and set, you know, people through that. Cause I know about you, but I've been on a set where there's been, oh. it's so painful. Oh my God, oh, Pat, God. And it's the most painful thing. Oh God. So I refuse to be that person. No. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. I just had a meeting with a lawyer uh, that, and I was like, he goes like, what's your main focus? I'm like, just try to remember this with me. And I know people like this. I'm not in this business to make a killing and then get out. Like yeah. I want to just keep working. So if it means, making less money, but building solid relationships. And I can just, you know, I want John Ritter's career. I want to be that guy where people are like, 
oh, he's the best. Yeah, bring him in. Like everyone loved working with him and you work forever. That's, uh, you know, that's what I want. Ditto, ditto, yeah. kiddo. Yeah. For real. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I hope you and I uh, see each other soon. I wish you tremendous luck, which you will not need on this uh, this new tour. I can't wait to see it myself. Um, thank you, kind sir, for joining us thank on you. this episode. And listeners, if you want to see a nice uh, Cone Oswalt uh, team up, uh, watch the movie <laughs> Sex and Death 101. It is a uh, one of the many Cone Oswalt uh, pair up movies that were huge in the early aughts. Yes. And of the 19 we made, that's the best one. So please I know. check please. that one out. Can I just suggest and really request that we maybe do a 20th then? I'd yeah, like let's, to, let's, let's, let's I'd make like to it do an something all Quarant. Even 20. <laughs> all right. Please, let's do we'll it. put a link yes. for it in the show notes for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Ladies and gentlemen, one more time, a big round of applause. And thank you once again to uh, Pat and Oswald. The Thanks, gem. guys. Mindy, thank you. so awesome talking to you. Ditto. Ditto. This episode of Mondays with Mindy is brought to you in part by our sponsors. When by Chaz Dean and the Cocktail Party. Love, Mary. Chaz Dean redefined the industry with his innovative line of When Cleansing Conditioners, creating an entirely new way to care for your hair. Today, When encompasses a full array of cruelty-free hair and skincare products for every hair and skin type. Visit ChazDean.com or MondayWithMindy.com and start focusing on you while they take care of the rest. Tired of cooking? Love fancy hors d'oeuvres but don't have any idea how to prepare? Look no further. The Cocktail Party Love Mary is here. For 15 years, New York's caterer to the stars and our pal Mary Giuliani has served her deliciously whimsical hors d'oeuvres to the best names in art, fashion, and entertainment. Now she's put them all in an adorable little box to send from her heart to your home. As Mary says, all you have to do is turn on your oven, pour yourself a drink, and enjoy more time with your guests. She'll take care of the rest. Go to MaryGiuliani.com or MondaysWithMindy.com for more information and to order yours today.